You're listening to Phanalysis, a sci-fi and fantasy TV podcast. In this episode, we are talking about episode 316 of The 100, Perverse Instantiation, Part 2. My name is Chris. I'm Dawson. And I want to start this episode off with a voice message we got from my buddy Kevin Batchelder. Hey everyone, this is Kevin Batchelder. I want to give some thoughts on the finale, and actually for me, the last three episodes, because I watched them all together in one set. I'd gotten kind of behind in my viewings. Uh, as Chris and some others know, gotten busy with some uh, wine owner podcast stuff, but I found it to be quite the roller coaster uh, and, and kind of like a freight train, just kept moving and moving, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, we've certainly, many of us and, and you folks specifically, <laughs> have discussed some of the issues uh, with some earlier season stuff, but I thought they finished it out very strong. I really had more of a season two feel that I had for kind of not knowing where we might go and knowing that they were going to be edgy with what they did. Uh, the City of Light idea and Clark going in I thought was really good, and I was glad to see her character more in the forefront here, uh, as she's taken a bit of a backseat, certainly, with a lot of other characters getting more screen time. Not that I didn't like those, but reminded me how much I missed her being a centerpiece of it. And I was not aware of the uh, Lexa coming back, so I found that to be a great surprise, and I thought it really worked well. And for me, the real, uh, kind of they say, the cherry on top thing was what Octavia did to Pike there at the end. I thought that was so true to her character and for this show to not just make everything all, you know, group hug kind of way. Uh was very true to, to what I expected and, and it really worked for me. So appreciate all the efforts on the podcast. I did get behind and kind of with my viewing screwed up some podcast listening, but I know you folks worked hard on them and I do appreciate them. So uh, thanks again and take care. Thanks for sending that in, Kevin. And let's start off with general reviews as always. Dawson, what'd you think? It was, it was good. <laughs> it was, it was good, not great, in my opinion. That was such a tentative good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it suffered from a lot of the things we've talked about that the season's been suffering from. Like, it didn't have a good foundation to sit upon. And so it, it struggled in that way some. And then it definitely didn't feel powerful enough for a season finale mm-hmm. to me. But some of the pathos was really, really incredible we had the you know there were beautiful scenes with clark and lexa i thought the ali becca scenes were interesting and compelling in and of themselves if you if you took this episode out of context of all of the sort of various issues and problems the show has generally been struggling with it was it was a solid bit of storytelling it was very hit and miss for me let's put it that way i think that's fair Yeah, I want to say that I liked the episode, but I'm honestly not sure if I did. I was having suspension of disbelief problems for a lot of it. Like, really a lot of it. But then Lexa showed up and I laughed and cried actual tears of joy. Like, actual tears of joy. Because I am apparently as dramatic as Lexa is. (laughs) That's sort of beautiful. Anyway. Overall, there were some good and interesting elements, but as a whole, it felt really abrupt and a- unsatisfying to me. So a bit hit, hit or miss, huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that yeah, would have I, been the shorter way to say that, yes. <laughs> it feels like between the two of us, we're like sort of in consensus that there was some good stuff, but there was a lot of also not good stuff. So like, there were a few standout scenes, and then the rest of it was kind of a Kind of a mess. Kind of a hot mess. Well, it's like, I don't even want to say it was not good stuff. It was just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I, just, I felt very sort of, I don't know, confused and or put off by a lot of 
a lot of it. Put off is a good way to, to phrase it. Some, yeah, there were definitely some parts that were very off-putting. Like the second half of the season was just put off by a lot of the... Anyway. Yeah, for sure. But let's talk about uh, Raven and Monty and Harper and Jasper and all the stuff that's going on at Arcadia. In the land of Arcadia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because they finally took out Jasper. I say finally, but it was at the beginning of the episode. But it was kind of a relief because, you know, he had Harper, which was anxiety inducing for me a little bit. But then, <laughs> and here's the part I don't understand. They caught him and then they tied him up to a chair that they left in the room where they're plotting <laughs> against Allie, <laughs> which is not a good idea. Maybe like they wanted to keep an eye on him. I guess they could have, like, tied him up somewhere else and had someone watch him. Exactly. There were three of them. Somebody could have, <laughs> you know, been within shouting distance. It made for great dramatic moments when things were happening with Allie. <laughs> I know. I mean, like, from a narrative standpoint, I get why they did it, but it just seems really stupid. <laughs> for sure. Agreed. From a practical, if this were actually happening standpoint, not so much. <laughs> I mean, I get that once they got to that point, they were kind of like, oh, well, Allie knows that Clark's there anyway, but I just, it just still seems like a really terrible idea. Yeah. Again, me and my suspension of disbelief issues. Like, I just kept thinking, you know, either this would never happen or that's a really terrible idea. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a large number of, they asked for a lot of suspension of disbelief in this episode. <laughs> it's true. And then we've got the scene of, of Raven providing an assist for Clark, which seemed to be sort of the majority of this storyline for them. They didn't have a whole lot of story during the main part of the episode. Yeah, I wanted to comment on that, actually. I was really disappointed that Raven didn't have more of a role in in this story. I know, right? They'd set her up in such a big way earlier. Yeah, exactly. I would have thought there would have been more of the Raven-Clark partnership with Clark in the City of Light and Raven, you know, hacking the City of Light. Like, I thought there would have been more there. I was really disappointed that they didn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a cool... Maybe season four? Maybe. Would have been a cool dynamic duo thing to do. But yeah, it, it seems weird that they didn't follow through more on that. But as I said, she provided the assist with the Mockingjay hatch. I mean, the Raven hatch. <laughs> I mean the Mockingjay Hatch. <laughs> it was the Mockingjay Hatch, for sure. I will say, I really did enjoy that bit where the door appears, and Clark is like, WTF? Well, really, Lex is like, WTF, and then Clark goes along with the WTF. And then the the Raven, the Mockingjay symbol, the Raven appears on it. I thought that was a, a nice little reveal moment. I wish that they had waited to show us Raven so that we also would have been like WTF when the door showed up. Mm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then do the dissolve to the Raven symbol and then cut to Raven in Arcadia. Yeah. I don't know. I, anyway, I was trying to pay a compliment and then I remembered there was stuff about that I didn't <laughs> like it too. <laughs> I do think that might have been a more satisfying reveal kind of a thing if they'd done it that way. Yeah, you're right. The reveal was nice. It was a nice way to do the reveal. Except they could have done it a bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess really the only other significant moment from that group we had, or at least that I can think of, was post-awakening, where, first of all, Monty and Jasper finally hug it out, 
I don't know about you. I assume you too. I've been waiting all season for that. We've all been waiting for them to hug it out. Yep. I wish there had been more conversation between them. Is that terrible? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of stuff that happened that, that they need to talk through. Again, I wonder if they're going to maybe continue with that next season or maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I suppose it is sort of a moment of like, that was one among one among many of my personal like suspension of disbelief things that that seemed almost a bit premature. I guess it's it's that idea of like just relief that his friend is no longer a pod person, you know? Right. Because I mean, we've felt the tension. I think every time there's been that moment where everybody's you know saying fond farewells or you know may we meet agains that kind of thing. Yeah. Where you feel Monty kind of wanting to reach out to Jasper, and Jasper's just turning his back on him. So, yeah, or vice versa. There was the point. There was a point at which they're all saying farewells, and Monty turns his back on Jasper. Mm-hmm. So that happened in Demons. The end of Demons. I was thinking it was the other way, but I think you're right. Yeah, there's been so much of it on both sides. I don't even know anymore. They're mad at each other. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, I I thought the hug was nice. I felt like what was going on with Jasper was a little ambiguous. Like, the hug almost felt like, oh, we're both so relieved, when the reality is, when they brought Jasper back, the idea of saying, I was finally happy, right? Like, Jasper is clearly still living in his trauma. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish Jasper had been falling apart a little more, and Monty had, like, hugged him, not in relief, but in sort of fear and comfort, and, like, trying to offer support to him in that moment. It didn't feel, the hug didn't feel like that to me. Yeah. Maybe that was how they intended it, but it didn't feel that way to me, and I wish it had felt more that way. The thing is, like, they're very vague in that moment with Jasper once Jasper leaves the room, and you can hear Monty and we're Harper. All waiting, we're, we're all waiting for him to, like, put a gun in his mouth, right? That's the, I was, Weren't yeah. we all waiting for that? Well, it's like, I, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I had that sense of dread, like it might happen. I mean, that was how the scene felt. It felt set up specifically for that. And, like, I honestly couldn't figure out how I was supposed to interpret the look on his face either. Like, I, I'm just not quite sure how we're supposed to interpret that. Like, what is Jasper feeling in that moment? I can guess. There are logical conclusions to that, but the way that scene played out felt weird to me. Yeah, it was very ambiguous. Still, uh, my my whole story of season three is lamenting Jasper's storyline, which I think had a lot of promise. Like, you could have brought him to that place. And I mean, I don't know about anyone else. Like, you, I could imagine the moment in my head almost perfectly, right? Jasper falls apart. Monty comforts him. He says, yeah, 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 okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. He walks out. We cut back to Harper and Raven and Monty laughing and being relieved. And then, bang, you hear the gunshot, right? Like... And you don't cut back to him, so we don't actually know what happened. Then you have a season cliffhanger with Jasper. You have, like, like there's... But instead, we just had this really weirdly ambiguous emotional moment that didn't seem to say anything, and I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Again, with the open-endedness of this whole episode, kind of. Yeah, the whole episode kind of felt like that, didn't it? You're so right. There were so many things in this episode that felt really ambiguous. Like, what are we supposed to take away from that exactly? What are you trying to say here? <laughs> and now here's a voice message we got from Sally. 
Hey, Chris and Dawson, this is Sally. Well, I thought the season three finale of The 100 was really good, and, you know, it was powerful for lots of reasons. The part that has stuck in my mind, I mean, lots of parts have, but this one especially is at the end, after the drama of Clark pulling the kill switch, not, you know, five seconds later, Octavia runs Pike through, and I cheered you know, he had it coming, he deserved it, and I just thought about, like, what that meant, you know, why put that moment in there after, you know, the triumphant, semi-triumphant, since they still have to deal with nuclear meltdown, but triumphant moment of Clark defeating Allie, and I guess I just, I conclude that it is commentary on human nature, that we will never be able to totally rise above our desire for revenge or the things that make us unpleasantly human or problematic, I guess. And, you know, even me, because I was glad she did it and I still am. You know, I do believe that the cycle of violence has to stop somewhere, but I was totally on board with Octavia killing Pike. You know, I feel like there's just something more that the show was saying about that, and that's the best I've been able to come up with so far. I'm interested to hear what the two of you think about it. Thanks for sending that in, Sally. Shall we move on to Octavia and Pike? Another ambiguous situation. <laughs> uh, Speaking of ambiguity. <laughs> I I kind of don't know how to feel about a lot of this. It was weird. This was the most jarring part of the whole episode for me, was Octavia's storyline. Interesting, because last week you were rooting for Octavia to do what she did. No, I loved where she got, but how she got there and the like the like her arc through the episode, that all felt very weird to me. Okay. Like, yes, the moment she stabs Pike literally out loud to no one, I said, That's my girl. <laughs> like <laughs> I've been waiting for Octavia to kill Pike. That's what I've been waiting for. But the method by which they told that story was weird to me. Like, the whole rest of the episode of her story was very strange. I agree. Because early on, early on in the episode, you know, she's shooting him these looks. You know what's coming. But then they have this moment where Octavia and Pike are the only ones in the room as basically the second to last line of defense basically the last line of defense pretty much and finally the people who have been climbing up the side of the deck alexa tower which i also have issues with <laughs> i will get there eventually <laughs> give it time we'll have all the time <laughs> but they finally get up to lex's room or the commander's room, I guess. It's technically Antares by then, but... It's Alexa's room. I know. <laughs> anyway. She and Clark slept together in that bed. It's Alexa's room. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> and then we cry, because of course, of course it has to happen in this room, all the horrible, horrible oh. battle. But, I mean, Octavia injures the only other guy in that room who's supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be the last line of defense. And this is completely irrational and on one hand okay that kind of makes sense to me now's her opportunity she's taking it but on the other hand the more prominent hand i'm kind of like that makes no sense octavia you've just endangered the lives of every single person who's with you 
and everybody who's not with them because they're all chipped and the whole point was to save everybody. <laughs> I just... <sighs> Agreed. <laughs> okay. Agreed. I, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like Octavia. It doesn't. Which I guess is what they were going for. Like, A, Octavia barely speaks in these episode in this episode, which is unfortunate. Because Octavia has a very clear moral code as a character. She has a very clear sense of what is right in her mind. And if she's gonna go down the path of injuring the only guy in the room who injuring someone and potentially killing the person who killed her love at the expense of her friends, you have to do some character work with Octavia around that explaining it because that's so fundamentally contrary to who Octavia is as a person in everything we've seen of her, right? I mean, this is a girl who not two episodes ago said, I'm not going to let you go in and wreck another innocent grounder village, Clark, to her best friend, right? Like, well, not her best friend, but like someone who is her friend and comrade. Mm-hmm. The weird thing to me, too, is that, okay, after that happened, Pike assists Octavia, because Octavia is in danger from one of the chipped grounders, I think. But to me, I'm like, wouldn't it have played out better if Octavia had been the one to save Pike? Yes. Like, in in this part of the battle, and then later runs him through? To me, that would have been more satisfying. I agree. And it would have been such a beautiful octavia moment right and all of that more in character for octavia yes that's exactly what Octavia, and to like you said exactly in character that's what octavia would do she would preserve his life to save her friends and when it was over she would kill him without a second thought like that's what octavia would do i agree i don't understand instead they give that moment to pike which on one level i get but on another seems really weird (laughs) because it's it's a bit of a moment of redemption, arguably. Because, okay, Pike is willing to put this aside for the battle at hand. Okay. But there's also that moment where Pike is reasserting to Bellamy that he thinks they still did the right thing by murdering the peacekeeping army. Back to ambiguous and back to trying to have your cake and eat it too. This has been a problem with Pike since day one, right? They want him to be, you know, a danger and something of a villain, but they also want him to be... My impression was that Pike helping Octavia was meant to make us feel bad when she kills him. That was the other weird thing, was Octavia is among one of few characters who, like, we talked about this not too many episodes ago, where we were talking about people to root for. Mm-hmm. You're saying, you, you, like, you do, you don't really root for Octavia as a hero, but you root for Octavia in terms of getting resolution and satisfaction for what has been what has happened to her right we we root for her to grieve lincoln and to heal and yes to at least me to kill pike like that makes that is what we're rooting for here and so it was it was almost like they were trying to make us feel bad for rooting for octavia yeah it kind of does feel like that which was weird then because you get back into this ambiguous place of like, okay, if you don't, you as writers clearly don't think this is who we should be rooting for. Who, who exactly are you trying to get us to root for here? You want us to root for Pike who like beats the crap out of kids and murders innocent armies and does horrific things. Yes. In the name of like survival, quote unquote, and self preservation, but still is doing horrific things at all times. Like, 
that's very odd to me and is not one of our heroes is in fact a villain wouldn't you rather have us rooting for our hero this could have been an octavia moment where she kills him and it's that's horrible for octavia that will go with her you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is impactful and i don't think we needed it felt like they were trying to like make us feel bad that pike died or something you don't need that what you need is for us to feel conflicted for octavia who has now done something that is that is quite contrary to her character you talked about that at one point chris that it feels very dark for octavia and it is Mm -hmm. so i don't know i was just surprised that they the whole storyline for octavia up until she kills pike felt real off to me yeah i mean that's the thing about pike saving octavia it's one of those things it's in character for pike because pike is all about saving his people right Mm -hmm. so he would do that but why are they giving that character beat to a character who is just gonna get killed at the end of this episode i mean unless it it is supposed to make us feel conflicted about octavia i mean i don't know but i don't think a single one of the people i've talked to felt conflicted about octavia killing pike they were all just no like super enthusiastic about it yeah because pike deserved it he did he deserved it i actually kind of wish they'd had octavia say juice drain juice down (laughs) when she did it Yes. I was saying it in my head as she did it, (laughs) but was slightly disappointed when she didn't say it. I mean, it would, you know, there should have been a moment there. I agree. There should have been a line. I will say I loved the the scene of her killing Pike, this moment where they're facing one another. And it's, you know, what the other reason I think it would have been great if Octavia had fought side by side with Pike and then like saved him at some point, you know, if she had done those things rather than Pike that then there would be a moment where as an audience we wonder okay is octavia going to set aside everything that's happened mhm right we would have had that moment where we wondered but now we didn't because they didn't do it that way but it, we would have had that moment where we wonder and then bang she runs him through you know right which was a great moment i actually thought that while while i agree it would have been cool to do like do strangers down or something like that i actually thought the moment played really well yeah it did but it was just a lead up to it that was like, this feels <laughs> weird. <laughs> Again, one of the problems of the episode stuff just, it felt kind of off. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if that, it, it didn't feel like it was intentionally off either. I just, I don't know. It almost felt to me like as someone who as someone who is working on a television series right now, it almost felt to me like they'd changed, they'd gone back, you know, after doing your first few revisions, they'd gone back and changed things in earlier parts of the season. And then didn't update <laughs> the finale <laughs> to like to kind of match it correctly with everything. Hmm. That's what it felt like to me. Almost like or like that they'd made earlier they'd made changes in one part of the episode but didn't change it, you know, in later parts to make everything flow together smoothly and make sense together and like to optimize the path of that story, you know. Well, that's how it felt to me. Almost like something was off in the sense of getting your continuity because that's easy to do that happens to me all the time where i'll go back and i'll read something i'm like oh this is a line referencing something that we've cut in a previous episode it doesn't even exist anymore you know Mm -hmm. so there was some it felt like there were some coverage problems there (laughs) not that there were coverage problems that's not true because coverage problems look for like blatant inconsistencies but more that they're in like character wise there was some some issue there the other thing i thought was a little bit odd about the pike and octavia storyline is that Bellamy was kind of like at the peripheral of this storyline as the voice of 
morality. <laughs> that was weird. Let's right? just all say it. That was weird. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, I get it in the sense that they're having Bellamy have his moment of admitting that he did the wrong thing, even though even that moment felt a little weird and a little off to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, that conversation with Pike of we shouldn't have done it and now I have to live with it. But I don't know. But like in the middle of a fight and like to Pike with no one else around to hear it. And I don't know, like the whole thing just it's such a cop out of Bellamy's. I am. Everybody knows this, I think, by now. I am frustrated by what they did with Bellamy this season. <laughs> mm hmm. As someone who was one of my favorite characters in season two, who I was frustrated with in season one and came to really love in season two through that development of his character, I was immensely frustrated with what they did with him in season three, and I don't feel like they ever properly addressed it or dealt with it, and they had that that conversation with Pike where he's like copping to what he did, but not really, you know? Mm-hmm. Not not to anyone who matters, right? <laughs> like Yeah. The whole thing felt very I don't know. It was frustrating to me. To a lot of people. Yeah. Just odd choices. At least Bellamy expressed his regret, I suppose. It's so, like better than nothing. It's a start, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I hope so. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, that was all a depressing conversation. Let's talk about Abby and Murphy, because <laughs> I love Abby and Murphy in this episode. <laughs> me too. But like here you thought the medical procedures on this show were unsanitary before. It was a whole new level in this episode, and, uh, ew. For real. It was gross. I mean, I've been watching Grey's Anatomy recently, so I was, like, you know, it wasn't too bad to me (laughs) in terms of gross level, (laughs) but I will say the medical procedures, while very, very unsanitary, I will say at least the worst of them were on... Antari, who's brain dead anyway, so you know she gets an infection. It's not like the end of the world because she's going to die. I know, but they're pumping her blood into Clark. <laughs> into Clark. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> so that infection is now coursing through Clark, and uh... yeah. But have you seen how filthy Clark is? She could survive anything. <laughs> it's fine. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. At this point, the flame will protect her from infection. <laughs> I heard someone refer to Murphy and Clark as the filth twins, and I just loved that (laughs) so much. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. (laughs) But jumping back to the beginning of the episode, it was so heartbreaking to see the realization on Abby's face once she's disconnected from Allie. How about Eliza Taylor and Paige Turco in that scene? Oh, man. More scenes between them, show. Yes. Pretty please. Oh, they're so that good. That scene was so heartbreaking. They are so good because they're like Abby falls apart. I do kind of love that they have that relationship where Abby falls apart. She's hurt her child. I can't, you know, you can't fathom. I don't have kids. I have no idea what that's like, but it's got to be horrific. I would imagine so. Yeah, she just falls apart, and Clark is, you know, Clark is Clark. It wasn't you. It wasn't you, and she knows that. And I love that, like, that's part of the the sort of the horrific truth about Clark is that she gets at the real honest facts, which can be really wonderful and can be really terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, sometimes you have to pull the lever and kill all the mountain men, right? <laughs> but also, on the flip side, she knows that that was not her mother and doesn't, like, you know, have even a moment or a sliver of upset because 
she knows. I mean, not that she's not upset, but she's not upset at her mom. Right. So I love, I love that. that that's very true to Clark. Yep. But then we, we do get that moment of, I think, Abby. I know Abby isn't actually responsible, but I because Abby feels responsible, we get to have protective mama bear Abby, which I mean, she would have been anyway. But I, I like that there's that moment where she gets to feel like she does something <laughs> to atone, essentially. She gets to save her daughter for the first. Oh, for the first time. This is something she can do for Clark. Oh. That's really upsetting to me. Thanks for the feels, Dawson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It just hit me, too. I was like, this is the first time that there's something. The first time since they've come to the ground that there's something Abby can do for her. That's true, because when they were still on the station, you know, essentially Raven came down for Clark and the others. I mean, it's mostly for Clark. (laughs) Yeah. And also the others. I mean, I, I, anyway. Because I, like, I'm thinking all the way back to season two, where Abby keeps trying to protect Clark. She keeps trying to, to protect her and to take, take things over and to, like, take all of this, like, massive responsibility off of her plate. And what's beautiful is I've, I'm just remembering that Clark says this. Clark says in that scene, I need your help. Mm hmm. And it's like, it's the moment I feel like that might be the first time we see Clark asking Abby for her help when they're on the ground. Cause there's scenes where she absolutely denies her. You may be in charge. You, you may, you may, uh, be, you the may be the chancellor, but I'm, but in, I'm charge. in charge. Yeah. yeah. Like all of those scenes happen. And this is the moment where Clark needs something from Abby and Abby can help her and does. It's beautiful. <laughs> what I like about that moment, too, is that it also provides sort of a, a focusing goal for Abby. Because that whole scene, Abby's fallen apart. Yeah. It and gives Clark's her something like, to hold here, on to. here is the thing to hold on to. I need you to do this for me. Yep. Focus up, mom. <laughs> Get it together, ma. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Also... <laughs> And this is maybe just me, but it was so weird seeing Murphy act as Abby's assistant. It was. Well, Jackson's all, like, zombified, so. <laughs> no, I know, but, like, Murphy of all people. <laughs> yeah. Murphy's storyline in this episode was one of my favorites, actually. I really enjoyed him. That I mean, one of the great things about Murphy, and I don't know if it's that everybody has a really good handle on Murphy, or, like, I don't know, maybe Richard Harmon, like, really fights for Murphy to, to really be true to who he is, but Murphy is the one character I feel like not the not the only one but one of very few characters this season who's felt incredibly consistent. He's always exactly who he is and through all of that he has character development and it brings him to this place where he has someone he cares about, Emory. And so he does some very heroic things to try to help Emory. It's obvious he's come to care about Clark and like Clark and Murphy as friends is all I want in my life at this stage. When she says thanks at the end, and he goes, just another day on the ground, right? I'm like, oh, all I want is for them to be best pals forever. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Murphy would just deny it, though, constantly. Oh, yeah. Maybe both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, both of them, for sure. And here's a voice message we got from Laura. Hey, this is Laura, just calling in some thoughts about The 100. I think... 
Obviously, I'll echo a lot of people's comments on this. It was so badass to see Lexa return after so much suffering this season. It was just really nice to have somebody come in and kick some ass and essentially enable Clark to save the day. Also was fairly pleased, uh, more so than I thought I was going to be, with the Klexa reunion. I think that was probably about a realistic of a happy ending as we were going to get for those gals, unfortunately. Or fortunately, I'm super curious to see if Luna makes a return in season four. And also really curious to see who becomes the leader of the Grounders. Is it going to be Clark? since she's the de facto commander at this point and the flame keeper. So some, some good things to look forward to in season four, even though um, I personally felt like season three was a little bit difficult. So that's all for me. Thanks. Thanks, Laura. So let's talk about Clark and the city of light. Oh man. Again, I feel like they could have done more with this than they did. Agreed. But also, some of the best stuff in the episode was in this. <laughs> Agreed. So she shows up in the City of Light and is apparently invisible to Allie's minions, which uh, I, I guess was because of the flame. So it was the initial lapse in the night blood pumping through Clark, I guess, that let Allie detect Clark slash the flame. You know, I saw your note on this, and I, I, that's not how I interpreted it, which doesn't mean that that's not what it was. My interpretation of it was just that, like, the lapse in Nightblood might kill Clark, so that's kind of a big deal and dangerous. But my impression was that the flame, because Lexa says the flame offers some protection, but less and less, right? So my impression was that over time, Allie is, like, nibbling away at the alley 2.0 code and the the more of it she gets the less protection clark has that was my impression like my impression was that it was over time i guess my my issue there or why i was vaguely confused about it was because clark started to stumble and that's when everybody turned to look at her and that's when we also see the problems with the night blood start because that's when abby has to go over and start doing compressions on ontari you could totally be right uh, like I said, that wasn't my impression of it, but that sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> like, you could be correct. <laughs> it was happening. It was shown to happen at the same time, so I don't know. Sure, sure. Yeah. I just Which I guess would make sense if the interruption of the Nightblood meant that the flame started rejecting Clark, started basically killing her, then it would no longer be offering protection, right? That, mm-hmm. like, the protection of the flame is withdrawn because now Clark isn't considered a nightblood who who is protected by the flame instead she's you know it's like rejecting an organ basically mm-hmm. so she's just exposed in the city of light because she's taken the key like i could see that that seems fair i'll okay. go with that <laughs> i'm down you've convinced me chris <laughs> okay like let's let's dissect this anyway but that part leads to clark like literally getting kicked when she's down oh and how it went was on that? for kind of a while and i was like Again, do we need to be seeing all this show? It seems a little excessive. Yeah. Same old, same old. (laughs) I suppose. What else is new? I know, right? But it leads to that moment. And then... (laughs) Dun-dun-dun! Like, Lexa leaps into frame (laughs) with her super dramatic, majestic entrance. (laughs) I kid you not, I start laughing. (laughs) Just because, like, it's so 
super dramatic. So Lextra. <laughs> so Lextra. <laughs> it is. It's really, really Lextra. And uh, she's just like whirling dervish, taking people out. And then I start like crying tears of joy. <laughs> For I am also Lextra. And uh, <laughs> it was a good moment, though. It was that moment reminded me a lot of the hero shot they do of Lexa in yes. uh, and watch, was the it watch the Thrones right yeah. after her fight with Rowan. This moment reminded me of that a lot. And, th- and me too. Th- this is among the things that I think people, myself included, have really loved about Lexa is that she gets these amazing, dramatic warrior hero moments. Lexa is a superhero. Exactly. And it's amazing. She is the commander, capital T, capital C, the commander. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, I I loved that she got that. It's such an iconic moment, you know. I was gonna say something about this. What was I gonna say? Were you gonna say that it felt a lot like homecoming when Clark and Lexa finally like hug, and there's that moment of like them looking at each other. I wasn't, but you're right. <laughs> I have to be honest. <sighs> I don't know if I'll watch season four of The Hundred, and a part of it is that, unfortunately, they've set the bar really high for themselves with Eliza Taylor and Alicia Debenham Carey in that that moment reminded me what I loved so much about the first part of the season. Those characters are so compelling, and those actresses are so good and have such spectacular chemistry that like those few moments were far and away better than almost anything else in the episode and and i was just i was reminded of it very much felt like yes this is the show that i loved right (laughs) right yeah it's so funny to me one of my friends is watching but is behind and so she she knows vaguely what's happening but she messaged me she's like i just started watching episode 303 and lexa just kicked a guy off the balcony why did they kill her? She's so interesting. <laughs> I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah, for real. But no, I did remember what I was going to say, which was, I think it was last week, and really the week before that, I think too, you've been saying that you wish that they will have a return of hope on the show. And I, I remember watching this and thinking, hope has returned and her name is Lexa. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. <sighs> I love it. We love Lexa is what we're saying. Yes, we we do. <laughs> it's hard not to. It's really hard not to. She's just such a good character. What was it? It was as of it was as of watched the thrones, I think, was the episode where when we did the podcast you were like, if I wasn't in love with Lexa before, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. As of watched the thrones, you had no choice but to love Lexa. Like, I was already kind of there the week before, but... Yeah, but that was definitely (sighs) final nail in the coffin. (laughs) It's like, nope, it's forever now. (laughs) Yeah, and I will, I want to, going back to what you were saying about Lexa being the return of hope, that has been, again, like, this is what I loved about the first half of the season. That was part, that was a major piece of the story, was Clark and Lexa figuring out a better way for their worlds and their cultures to live and survive and prosper. And that was incredibly hopeful. So you're right with the return of Lexa. It mm-hmm. feels like I've talked about, you know, Clark carrying on their legacy, this legacy of, of what they're doing and 
It felt like coming home, Lexa and Clark together again. Well, I think part of the thing, too, we've been talking about, and I've seen a lot of commentary online about how everybody has been so down on Clark for this entire half of the season. And it was never like that with Lexa. Lexa always valued Clark's opinion, always trusted her as a leader. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's it's really been... It's like this this thing that is viscerally missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we I we felt its absence that yes. That presence on the show of somebody really honestly trusting Clark. Yeah, absolutely. Which is hard cuz Clark is your main character and anyway, it's been frustrating. Yeah. Anyway, I also wanted to mention there's that part in the episode where Becca tells Clark that Clark's father's watch Jake's watch was something mm-hmm. that Clark provided herself with. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Clark was like, you know, did you give me this? And it's like, no, you gave it to yourself because it was a thing to help you. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. Because one of my friends had actually messaged me during the episode and was like, why aren't the other previous commanders around? Like, it's just Lexa. And I'm like, because Clark wanted Lexa there. <laughs> That's right. And so basically Clark like manifested her there. Yes. Yes. The the flame the flame provides some protection. And that's something that I actually feel like they didn't emphasize enough was the the level of symbolism involved in it all, right? That anything like the manifestation, the appearance like Clark needed to be saved and so Lexa appeared, right? Clark needed she needed to know where to go, what to do next, right? And those things manifested themselves in ways that meant something to Clark. All of these things that manifest, that help Clark along the road to the kill switch are all things she brings about in conjunction with the flame, right? That was something Becca said, was that the flame is a merging of the AI and the person it merges with. Mm -hmm. So that's actually, I thought that was totally cool and fascinating. I wish they had done more with that. (laughs) Right. Also, this is kind of random, but... Was the girl on the pink bike a nod to Alicia Debnam Carey's role on Fear the Walking Dead? <laughs> I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> really? Okay. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think they would do something like that. Because it was strangely similar if it's not yeah. intentional. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know a lot of people have pointed it out. It was strangely similar. One of the things I mention frequently about things like TV and stuff is like you're often working with the same prop shops and working with the same props. Like there are only so many people who do that job in Hollywood. So it may just have been that, that like that bike happened to be on hand. They film in different locations. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. Very, very true. (laughs) But I, I honestly think it's just kind of coincidence. If you say so, I could be wrong. Spoiling all my fun, Dawson. I could be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shall we talk about Clark's final decision? And her discussion with Becca and Allie, because that was kind of big. Yeah, it was Allie versus Becca with Clark in the middle. The angel and the devil on your shoulder. Yep. I mean, red dress. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) With Becca in, I think Becca was in like blacks and grays, yeah? Earth Mm -hmm, tones, maybe? I enjoyed the plot point, which was, okay, there's a choice to make. The world is ending. The nuclear power plants are melting down the earth will become unlivable. So this is why Allie is trying to upload everybody to the city of light. Right. I did find it when we were talking about like things that are kind of hard 
to suspend your disbelief on. Like, I understand the idea of perverse instantiation, but the conceptual idea that Ali can't allow people to feel pain and make their own choices in the City of Light, but can crucify people was weird to me. Right? I mean, the whole thing, part of her program, as she explained it to Jaha, was that people had to do it of their own free will, which is not remotely like anything that we see after that. Right. And Becca says, because Clark, in typical Clark fashion, comes with the third answer, right? Rather than being forced to live with no free will and no, and, you know, half their memories wiped away in the City of Light or die on Earth in, you know, a nuclear, another nuclear apocalypse, (laughs) um, rather than those things, Clark goes for a third option, which is a typical think outside the box Clark Griffin move where she says, let them choose. You know, she wants Allie to let them choose and have their memories back Mm -hmm. and people can decide for themselves. And Becca says she can't. One of her primary, her primary directive is to make life better for humans. And I'm like, this is the weird, like, how is it that she, she has to protect people from their own pain, but she can crucify them. Like that doesn't make any logical sense. (laughs) It's true. Things don't make sense to me. (laughs) It's so weird. And I guess it's the like the idea that she gets around that by that the greater you know the greater good is yeah I mean I guess I guess the only argument I can come up with is that she doesn't differentiate between real life and city of light life like if I have to make them hurt so that they can live forever in the city of light I guess right I guess that makes sense in a weird. That in the long term, she is improving their life. (laughs) Even if in the short term, she's literally torturing them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The whole thing just felt very, very strange. You know, I love Eliza Taylor. I liked, I've I've heard people complain about it, but I really liked the callback to the lever, to the Mount Weather lever. Mm -hmm. I actually, I wish they had done like a little moment of flashback there. I actually think that would have been really great. Only because we are kind of distant from Clark's... (laughs) <laughs> the trauma of being one Hida. I would have it would have been cool to see some reminder of that or something prior to that moment where she faces another lever and another impossible choice. I did appreciate that moment where Allie's like, Join me and you don't have to bear this burden anymore. Yes. I thought that was a great Because I'm line. like, okay, that's a convincing argument. Yeah. <laughs> if for Clark it sure as heck would be. <laughs> right. Like that's a real temptation. Like that makes sense. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, that was a really great moment and a great line. I thought the whole that whole scene on the ship, Becca and Allie and Clark in this horrible situation, was was quite good. It was really enjoyable. This was, you know, this is where we've been driving. This is where they've been driving Clark to all season. This is where they've been taking her. I. <sighs> there is an interview, I think, on the Dropship podcast, which is great. Everyone should go listen to it. The Dropship podcast is wonderful. I think. That in Eliza's interview on the Dropship podcast, she said, well, we filmed two endings, so I'll be interested to see which one they went with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really curious if they filmed an ending where she makes the other choice. I actually, that wasn't on the Dropship. It was an interview with, I want to say IGN. Was it? uh, It was a print interview, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) she does say that they filmed two endings and she'll be interested to see which which one they go to. So I just I'm really curious if if they filmed the other option and what that looked like and what it I don't know. <laughs> Somebody write that fan like, fiction. Is that even what the other ending was though? Like I just it, yeah, it doesn't 
it could have been anything. They could they could have been anything else. I have no idea. But to me, that's a more compelling story. What if they'd stayed in the City of Light? Yeah, she makes the choice for them to stay in the City of Light. But I feel like Clark would genuinely never make that choice. I think Clark would make that choice if she thought she could find a way to give people free will back. Hmm. Well, I guess that's what I'm saying, though, is because as it was framed, it was like, you know, stay in the city of light and never have to have autonomy again was kind of how the choice was was stated. So, right. No, no, no. I know that this is where, see, I rewrite. I've rewritten this story four or five times in my head because okay. that's who I am. But <laughs> this is where, to me, the Raven Clark team up tie in comes in that. Mm. If they'd started this earlier in the episode, Raven would have time to go in and, like, rework, right? The idea that Clark has Becca in her head, right? <laughs> so what if Clark could relay to Raven and, like, Raven and Becca could, like, find a way, right? A last-ditch, last-moment effort where they find a way for them to rewrite or override some pieces of Ali's code. Like, there are options. There are ways they could have done it. <laughs> I just think the City of Light conceptually that's a really fascinating story to explore yeah i have read a fan fiction that was really interesting like the way they set up the city of light where it would have been a real temptation and i'm kind of sad that they didn't go with that i mean they touched on that a little bit with like jasper but i don't know the fact that they took the storyline the real world storyline in the direction of torture and made it all about that then just like puts the city of light in this whole category of like outright villain. <laughs> right. Which sure. seems like a weird choice to me. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But they didn't ask me. <laughs> Yet another running theme. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't ask me. Clearly they should have. My final point about that is even the final, like the thematic, beautiful line Clark says, you don't ease pain, you overcome it. Even that, if in that they could have used that line in that moment, Raven hits the enter key and Allie's code is like re rewritten <laughs> and everybody comes awake in the city of life in the city of life in the city of light <laughs> with their pain and with their struggles and with their trauma. And now we have a new story of, OK, going into season four. We are all like in the city of light in the way Jaha was in the city of light where he goes back and forth between the worlds, right? So we're all in the city of light, but also we have to find a way to save the earth because nobody wants their bodies to die forever, right? <laughs> like, I'm just saying it could have been done. <laughs> I'm actually very curious where they're going to go with season four, just because the setup seems odd. It's odd and ominous. And I don't know what that means for the future, you know? I mean, they're going to leave the Earth again, right? Like, <laughs> How? To me, at least, it feels... How would they? That's, that'll be the story of season four. Just okay. finding out how they're going to do that. <laughs> They've only got six months. Which, granted, could be another three seasons. <laughs> with the way time goes on this show. True. Anyway. But uh, I actually... <laughs> I ended the episode feeling very odd. Because it did... To me, it ended in a weird place. And like a weird, unsatisfying place. But I was also like, huh, that was way less death than you and I were expecting. <laughs> Indeed. They got all of their deaths in during the season. For the entire rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <sighs> How about that moment with Jackson and Abby, huh? Mm. 
where he's coming at her and she has the gun. That was scary. I was scared. Yeah, me too. A moment of terror. <laughs> Again, like, I'm surprised more people didn't die. They really didn't. The only person they killed was Pike, really? Mm-hmm. Am I forgetting anybody? I don't think so. That was it, right? I mean, the whole time, I, I mean, I'm not complaining that more people didn't die. I just thought it was... They can't kill more people. They've killed much of their cast already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there would be no one left to celebrate. But, I mean, we were expecting more. We were expecting yeah. either Miller or Brian and... and uh, I think at some point you were even half convinced that Bellamy was going to die. and Yeah. I was like, what if they kill Bellamy? That would have been cool. <laughs> I mean, not for Bellamy, but <laughs> that would have been quite a plot twist. <laughs> yeah. I am sad we didn't get to see Indra at all. She was busy being crucified. Yeah. I'm like, okay, if she was being crucified, then I'm okay with not seeing that. But after the the way... The episode before this ended, I was just kind of like, Indra, I hope you're okay. Yeah, she better be okay. I'm be real sad if she's not. Yep. Honestly, my final thoughts on all of this is is this this whole season has been quite rocky and really went to place I wasn't expecting it to go and, and certainly kind of turned off the... It turned off the road of, of what I loved about the show. Mm-hmm, same. And even the finale drove that home, right, of the, like, while the line... You don't ease pain, you overcome it. Well, that is a great line and a hopeful line and a, like, human fighting kind of line. I just feel like the show has really gone to a darker place than I want in my TV shows. Like, that's not... There's not enough hope in the show still. And I was expecting something big and hopeful out of this finale, and they didn't... They didn't deliver. Mm-hmm. And so that's... I'm in a... I'm in a deep dilemma about, about the upcoming season. Right. Because... I needed that to to feel like they were going somewhere more than everything is terrible in the world. Yeah, I'm going to need a big course correction to to be remotely enthusiastic about season four. I'm just not yeah. right now. Yeah. I admit I'll probably watch it, or at least check it out when it starts, but I certainly don't have any intention to podcast about it at this point. Yeah, same. Um just to touch on to touch on all of that, like I, I I also will probably Yeah, I will also probably check it out. But all told, I mean, one of the things I'll say about the hundred and I say it frequently is the hundred gave us some really wonderful stuff. Like even with the things I, I didn't love about the season, was some really wonderful stuff in the early parts of the season. I really enjoyed season one. I really, really enjoyed season two. I feel like season two is one of their strong was has been their strongest season so far. Mm-hmm. But the the first, <laughs> I would say seven, the first seven episodes, some people might disagree with me about episode seven, but the first seven episodes of season three was incredibly great television. And I am, I, you know, huge props to the show for, for that and for giving us all the seasons before and um, really spectacular characters. Clark is still a spectacular character, one of my favorites. We had Rowan, and we had, you know, we had season two Bellamy, and, and it's it's been a really good show. So, like, just as a final note, that, like, while I've been critiquing a lot the last couple podcast episodes, by no means am I saying, this show was awful, how dare they? Um, there's been a lot of really wonderful stuff coming out of the show. Right. Which I think is part of what's made us so critical of these episodes, because they are different from the things that we loved before. Yes. And like, if we didn't love that so intensely, this stuff wouldn't bother us as much as it does. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agreed. 
there wouldn't there wouldn't be a moment where we're like, wait, what? <laughs> if we didn't so deeply love what had come before. Yeah, because that that is the thing. Like, if I get attached to a show, I get very very attached, almost always to the characters more than anything. Right, of course. And so, yeah, it's it's been a rough season for me. <laughs> I hear ya. I hear ya. But it's a great show, and I mean, it's, it's one that I recommended to people for a very long time, and and I would, and I still recommend. You know, the critique comes out of comes out of a love for it and a desire to see it return to its glory days. <laughs> If you have thoughts about this episode that you'd like to send us, you can do that in a number of ways. You can send us an email to feedback at askgenretv.com. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. You can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Finalysis is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. We've got other podcasts for Orphan Black and Killjoys and Lost Girl and some other things and other episodes of Finalysis about Winona Earp. All of those are available at AskGenreTV.com. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris. I'm Dawson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>